Welcome to Pitch Deck, the podcast where startup founders pitch their business to investor angels or established mentors. We provide constructive feedback on both the business and the pitch itself. I'm your host, Nick Telson, and let's jump straight into the pitch studio and meet today's guests. So I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome on my side of the table today, Gemma Blumen, who's originally from the Netherlands and was the Chief Operating Officer at Elder Technologies, a Series B health tech startup for the past three and a half years, where she helped the company scale from 20 to 120 people and raise their Series B in 2019. She's been an angel investor over the past two years and is very interested in health tech, marketplaces, age tech, the silver economy and sustainability. 80% plus of her investments has also been in female founders. Previously, Gemma was a senior manager at Uber in the UK, where she co-chaired the women of Uber in 2017. And before that was a consultant at McKinsey. Gemma has a BA from Yale and an MBA from the best business school in the world, INSEAD. She left Elder last week, in fact, and this summer she is joining Creandum as an investment principal. Creandum is a pan-European early-stage VC fund, having invested in companies like Spotify, Trade Republic, and Depop. Gemma covers the London market and is focused on both B2C and B2B technology businesses. So I'm absolutely thrilled and welcome to the show, Gemma. Thank you, Nick. It's really great to be here. And- Thanks for throwing in that best business school of the world uh, comment. I appreciate that. <laughs> I saw that it was recently voted that or something, uh, beating <laughs> all the American ones, I think. So uh, we thought we'll throw it in. Um, so before we dive into the pitch studio and hear today's founder, I just want to ask you a few general questions. When we're looking at Elder, how did you manage to keep company culture and the sort of startup vibes, let's call it, when you were growing a company from 20 to 120? Yeah, it's it's a great question. I think one thing that has really helped Elder and that was like crucial to to us achieving scale and maintaining its culture was the mission. Right. So almost everyone who joined Elder did so, including myself, because they had an affinity with helping people stay at home as they grew older. My mom is handicapped and most people at some point through their lives will have grandparents or parents that need help. Um, And the concept of enabling them to stay in their own home is something that the entire team feels very passionately about. And that type of passion and drive for the mission, that scales. And so even when you recruit more people and you become bigger, if everyone truly believes in that mission, then it doesn't matter how big you become. Obviously, we also did the standard things like we we have a fantastic director of people who helped us ensure that we you know, have the right communication cadence in place, that we have the right onboarding processes, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, I really do think it comes down to the mission and hiring people who truly believe in what the company is trying to do. And um, I'm not sure if you're involved in the hiring process, but how, how do you see through people in an interview process to those that you know, genuinely care about a mission and those that say they care about a mission to get a, a cushy job at a startup? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I, I mean, 
I don't know if I always got that right, but I think I think for me it's about do people have personal stories, right? Like it's when you ask them why would you like this job, it's not necessarily the first thing they go to is about the mission, and it is about that anecdote of their granny who you know they were visiting in the care home and they saw like fading away, or just like a real awe like in how they speak about it and and their wish to do something different and and good in the world. And what organizational or business changes did you witness as COO when a company goes from seed up to series B? I think the key thing here is structure and processes. So as you become larger, everyone's role becomes more defined and it becomes much more important for the company to really define who sits in what team, what does each team do, what is each team's remit, what is each person's remit, and how do we scale that as we incrementally grow faster? So not just looking at, okay, what are people doing now, but what do people need to do in six months and building an org structure that actually fits that. The bigger you become, the more time you spend on org structure and really intentionally thinking around, okay, what should each part of the business, what should each role be doing? And how do we ensure that what they should be doing is what they're actually doing? When you're very small, everyone knows what everyone is doing and you just pitch in. But the bigger you become, the more intentionally you have to be about that piece. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and, and anticipating rather than catching up. I think is super important as a company grows. Um, and interestingly, you um, I mentioned in your blurb that you are interested in the silver economy. A lot of people I speak to talk about going after Gen Z the whole time. So what excites you about the silver economy? And are there any specific verticals within that that you, you really like? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I mean, part of this comes through my work with Elder, but I've also like seen, as I started talking to startups, there's there's so much innovation in the Gen Z generation or for like, you know, our generations, but there's so little being innovated and created for people above 50. Now, if you think about people above 50, like think about our parents, right? They are technology literate. They have a smartphone. They use the computer. They use email. They use Amazon. They know how technology works but they use it maybe slightly differently and they have like maybe slightly different expectations. They also have time, they have money. It's the, t- it's the time in people's life that they're retiring, um, that they're looking for other ways to spend their time and their money. Yet 90% of innovations are being driven by younger generations for younger generations. So for me, this is simply as an investor, it's, a, it's an enormous market that is under innovated and underinvested in. So I see it as an opportunity because there's this huge target market that where there is little competition. So if you build a great business there, the sky's the limit. I've actually seen, interestingly, uh, probably about three decks in the last month focusing on sort of marketplaces for, you know, 50 plus on, on activities that they can do, you know, rather than just playing golf, for example. And they all sort of came to me at the same time. So yeah, I I can definitely see that um, this is a sector of the community that, as you say, do know how to use smartphones. They're not technologically illiterate. 
So yeah, I totally agree. I think that is a really interesting space. And for Creandum, you're saying B2C and B2B, which is obviously a very broad remit. Are there particular verticals or industries within that that you're focusing on? Yeah, it's a great question. So Creandum is a very generalist fund. So we are not very thesis-led and we do invest in basically all kinds of technology businesses. Now, within that, there is a few areas that we've done where we've done a lot in, such as fintech, like, I mean, you mentioned Trade Republic, we've done Tide, we've done Swan, we've done Billy, like we've done Pipe, we, we did loads of different types of yeah, fintech businesses. We've also done a lot of marketplaces, digital health. I mean, Cree is like the most prominent example of that, but we also did Verta, which is a billion dollar diabetes uh, digital health company in the US. Outside of digital health and fintech, I would say that there's a number of other areas around like consumer marketplaces, B2B marketplaces where we've done quite a lot and where I'm also personally very interested um, just from my, from my background in marketplaces. But when I say generalist, like we truly are generalist fund. It's, it's for us, it's about if you are a fantastic founder and you are building something that is either completely tech, like technology driven or technology enabled and you are building something great, like we want to speak to you. We, we wouldn't rule out any... Yeah, any verticals within that. And obviously you've seen um, a lot of um, pitch decks. So being the nature of this show, what do you like to see in a pitch deck? And what would sort of turn you off from a company when looking at a pitch deck? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So for me, it starts with truly defining what is the problem you're trying to solve and then what is it that you're building? And I think this is hard, especially in the early stages when you might not know yet what exactly your solution will look like. But I would like to know as an investor, what is the unique thing that you're building, right? There's a lot of problems out there. A lot of problems might be quite obvious, but there's many different ways of addressing them. And I won't necessarily in an early stage deck be looking for a defined product, but I will be looking for a defined vision of the solution. And if that isn't clear to me when reading the deck, I'm not that interested because this is not a PowerPoint exercise around market sizing. For me, it is really about what is it that you're building? What is it that is unique about the business that, that you are going to build in the next 10 years? And then in terms of what can turn me off, I mean, you mentioned um, a little bit, like I'm, I'm quite passionate about diversity. So if I see a deck with just 10 white dudes on a slide, my first question is always going to be, what is your diversity strategy and what happened here? <laughs> I think that's super important. And it's great that sort of VCs and angel investors are sort of wising up to that too. Not, not only should you know, we have diversity in teams, but diversity makes better teams. And I think as soon as we realize that, the better. Yeah. And it's not always like for me, it, it is very natural if you start out a company with, you know, two of your friends, like, of course, you won't always have diversity, but it is important to think about it early and to have the right processes and procedures in place to, to ensure that you have an inclusive company from day one. And it doesn't always mean that you have, will have a diverse team day one, but at least if you're building up to that and you, you have an openness to it and an intention to build that, to me, that's, that is the most important piece. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, so yeah, without further ado, let us head into the pitch studio and meet today's 
founder, who is Charlotte, from a company called Vesta. So Charlotte, welcome to Pitch Deck. The floor is yours for your three-minute pitch. Thanks, Nick, um, and thanks, Gemma, for that brilliant introduction. So, hello, everybody. My name is Charlotte Melia, and I'm the co-founder and CEO at Vesta Kids, the global kids club. Everybody's heard of Peloton. You would have had to have been hiding under a rock to not have heard of Peloton. Well, Vesta is the Peloton for kids. We're in the midst of a global pandemic, and it's not COVID-19. In the West, childhood mental and physical health is at an all-time low. Vesta seeks to address that through the deployment of a range of holistic, interactive and active classes in a range of educational topics that children love. From meditation to yoga, art to poetry, STEM to dance, there really is something for everybody, regardless of neurodiversity or physical difference. To give you some background on me, I founded my first company, Dazzle & Fizz, back in 2013, from an initial investment of £47.50, which was the sum of my bank account at the time, scaling to over a million pound turnover in the last fiscal year. Dazzle & Fizz specialises in immersive, theatrical and high quality entertainment and events for ultra high net worth individuals, achieving a 90% retention rate with our clients. We're now looking to leverage our market position, unique experience and extensive knowledge of children's entertainment and apply this to a highly scalable business model utilizing software to drive our success. Vesta is a B2B2C SaaS platform delivering educational, safe, and active classes for children with neurotypical abilities and neurodiverse. It's well known that extracurricular activities are one of the key factors in boosting child mental health and improving the chances of future success. It's no wonder, therefore, that 95% of Fortune 500 CEOs still play sport at college level. Our revenue is twofold. Firstly, we'll sell direct to the corporates as a remote working benefit for their parent workers. This isn't just a nice to have or even a painkiller. It's a matter of compliance, helping these corporations achieve their SDG4 by 2030. The second revenue stream is through international and national clubs. We will help them co-create hybrid online content, which helps to solve the diversity and inclusion issue, which I hope to go into more in the questions. This is also where philanthropy and profit work hand in hand. For every membership purchased, we will gift another one to a child in need through one of our charitable partners. Early Traction has seen the likes of Facebook, Bulgari, Endelman, Captify, Tradeweb, and more that I can't mention, sign up to our beta platform. We've also had charities such as Help for Heroes, The Conscious Coalition, and Well Child. We're looking to raise 1.5 million for this round, and we are looking to truly close the education gap for children the world over. So if you believe in inclusion and diversity, then welcome to Vesta, the Global Kids Club.
Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Charlotte. And before we um, bring in Gemma to, to start sort of the questioning on the business, I'm just interested. So from a generalist point of view, you have this um, successful other business that you've been building and running. What gave you the appetite and the, the spark to think, actually, we also need to do Best of Kids as well? Sure. It's a great question, Nick. As I said, I've been running Dazzle and Fizz now for, for the best part of eight years. And we've serviced a wonderful group of ultra high net worth individuals. But both my business partner and I, we really want to service a much broader demographic. And we really want to help children in need at the same time. And the reason we're going into this space is actually very personal. Um, My son has severe autism and he's been rejected from every single stage school in our local Surrey borough due to his autism spectrum disorder. We've now built a platform where he can enjoy any group or club with peers in a safe space. Brilliant. And um, Gemma, if you um, want to start the questioning and I'll jump in whenever I've got a question too. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much, Charlotte. This was an incredible pitch and I love what you're doing and also the, the passion for your son and like building this on top of an existing business. Fantastic. Um, I, I would like to ask... Just um, a little bit more to start with on on the rest of your team. So you mentioned, I think, a a co-founder. Could you tell us a little bit about how you know each other and yeah, how you started working together? Absolutely. Uh, My co-founder is actually my niece. So we've lived together since I was two years of age and we co-founded Dazzle and Fizz together. She studied fine art, so she very much looks after the aesthetic of the business and I look more after the sales and marketing. And then a question I get asked often is, who will be running Dazzle and Fizz when we're focused on Vesta Kids? And the answer is, we, we have a formidable team already in place, which is headed by Ivana Babowska, who's already our head of sales, and she will be stepping up to MD. Okay, great. And so far, has it been the, the two of you focused entirely on Vesta, or have you been doing that like part-time? Um, We've been predominantly focused on Vesta as it was launched in the pandemic and events have been few and far between. Um, But we're really seeking this raise so we can be razor focused on Vesta and have a very, very light touch on Dazzle and Fizz. Fantastic. Well, I think the the problem that you're looking to solve is, I think, quite obvious to to anyone that either has school age children or or knows people that have school age or, or younger children. I would love to understand a little bit more about the solution that you are building. So you mentioned Peloton. I'm an avid Peloton user, so definitely a fan of that. Could you expand a little bit more? Is there a physical bike or equipment or is it just a digital app? Great question. Um, So it is digital, Gemma. We deliver both live and on-demand classes in a range of activities. But there is a tangible element. There is a bike, as it were. That's in the form of our NFTs. So upon completion of each course, the child will be awarded awarded an NFT that they can then use in the real world for tangible rewards. Okay, great. And who pays for those? So the corporate pays for the membership for their parent workers. We do also plan a D2C model from year two. We do think this is highly commercial. But we felt given the pandemic and the move to remote working, a B2B2C strategy would be better in the in the first instance. Great. Well, I have a few questions about that maybe in a few minutes, but just to go a little bit deeper on the solution. So you were talking about it's a digital app. How does it interact with school? So it's for after school. What 
What ages are you targeting? So we focused on the three to sevens market. Reason being is that the the child brain is 90% formed by the age of seven. So we feel that this is where we can have the biggest impact. Um, Also, there are a number of solutions out there for adolescents and teens. And we believe that actually the problems are made far earlier in life when the brain is in that crucial developmental time. The clubs are after school. So we're in no way competing with the curriculum. This is extracurricular. And also they are holiday camps. So every holiday we run up to five hours a day of entertainment, which is live and interactive. Interesting. And who is leading the product development on your team and who is leading the the content development? So content development is my business partner, Christy Mulgaard. She's overseeing all of this. We have also just signed an educational consultant who was the head of primary at the top private school in our area. Um, And we're working with a technology partner to develop the app. Great. And how much of it is developed at this point? And and what are you planning to develop with the raise that you're going through right now? Thanks, Gemma. So the beta platform was a web-based solution to try and do it as cheaply and efficiently as possible. The MVP is ready to build. We can have it out within 12 to 16 weeks with funding. The framework's there. And the beta platform that that you've had live so far, I I had the benefit of seeing your deck. I mean, you seem to have strong traction numbers. Could you talk a little bit more about how many customers you have right now and and how you've acquired those? Sure. So in the beta phase, we achieved three and a half thousand customers and they came from a range of organizations, predominantly Facebook, Endelman, TradeWeb, Captify. I am under NDA for another top name, but that that was in the deck. And also through our charitable partners, so Help for Heroes, the Children's Trust, Little Troopers, and the Conscious Coalition. Great. And these customers, they signed up with you via their employer? So the employer signed up direct for their staff. So um, for Facebook, for example, um, we put together collateral that they can then share with their employees. And then Facebook pays for the number of people who sign up to the platform. Great. And could you tell us a little bit about how those trials have been going and whether the partners that you've worked with, the B2B partners, are interested in continuing this relationship? Yeah, great. Definitely interested in continuing. Um, it's been us who's put, put the stoppers on things, really, because we do need to build a more tech-enabled product and an application at this stage. And we, we have a very formidable pipeline of people waiting to work with us as well, which includes Nestle, Taylor Wessing, L'Oreal. Sony, Unit 4. So we we don't have any issues with sales or pipeline. We really just need the capital now to build the product. Great. And in terms of, obviously, this was was fantastic for parents to have during the pandemic and also during lockdown. Have you seen any effects in terms of usage since things have been opening up again? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, We actually found that our usage went up at the beginning of the year. And in times of in times where the um, restrictions were less, we still had great attendance and it, it was still increased um, due to the fact it was the holidays. So I think the issue of parents having to continue working during the holidays is age old and isn't going anywhere. Um, so they, they were still seeking something for their children to do. Great. Could you then tell us a little bit about just what your other plans are on the back of this fundraise in terms of you know building out the team? and other yeah, sources of our deployments of capital? 
Sure. So the, the majority of the capital will be deployed in sales, marketing and product with a, with a selection for production. We do already have a studio that is fully in place. We converted our Dazzle and Fizz offices into a recording studio, but we would need to invest in better sound, lighting, etc. And really, it's getting the word out there, Gemma, to let people know that this is available to them. Okay, so yeah, the marketing with the on the B two B side. Yeah, that's right. Right. With the customers you mentioned, so you've got some you know high profile customers around three thousand uh, users. I'm not sure if they're paying at this stage. Um, if they are, what? how does that turn into revenue? And what is the actual numbers on the revenue model? So 35% were paying, Nick. And it's £10 net per person per month with the minimum sign-up of six months. Okay. And with the, the, the content side, so obviously you've got the big boy, you know, Netflix, Prime, all of those investing billions now into content. A, are you concerned that sort of Disney, uh, Netflix, etc., can pivot into a sort of kids club that's tagged on to your current subscription? And also, how do you intend to sort of keep up with, with quality content? Are, have you got a roster of actors and actresses and do you have lots of ideas? Is the content going to be live or is it pre-recorded? And it's like Netflix where you go and pick which one you want to watch. So, can you just talk to me more about the sort of depth of content? Sure. So regarding quality, that is what we've done for the past decade with Dazzle and Fizz. As you can imagine with the discerning clientele that we service, if it isn't perfect, it's off with their heads. So we have an in-house production team and we've also built an in-house theatre company over the past 10 years at Dazzle and Fizz, from whom we will cast the five Vestas whom are the key personnel who deliver the majority of the content. Where we're very different from Netflix and Disney is that we will also be approaching national and international sports teams and clubs to co-create hybrid content that's specifically intended for neurodiverse audiences, aka helping them with their DNI. Um, so to put this into real-world stats for you, we are about to sign with the Premiership Football Club, and they will be co-creating with us 36 videos, um, which are a range of courses, because they, they don't know how to service the autistic market, um, they don't know how to service children with profound and multiple learning disability, and we'll be able to take their existing coaching and create neurodiverse content that then can be deployed and enjoyed by anyone, anywhere. I think that's a real key differential. Of course, it would be foolish to think that Disney or Netflix um, couldn't plough a load of money into this. Of course they can. But I think we're coming at it from such a unique place, real grassroots on the floor, working with children face to face. And um, that is a very strong USP. For the record, so I don't have kids, so you will know a lot more than I do. Most of my friends do have kids and all they've been talking about recently is like digital fatigue and actually they just want to get their kids out there again and, you know, they will look at a screen for 10 minutes and then go off somewhere else. Do, so do you think, I, I, I totally love the concept of, you know, helping neurodiverse kids, um, you know, being able to play. Do you feel that that is a niche where Vesta will end up in? Or do you see that actually, um, you know, a whole spectrum of kids interacting with their screens 
is something that you're confident with going forward? Yeah, it is a really great question, Nick. I personally think that true inclusion is achieved when neurotypical and neurodiverse kids play together. And that's something that we're seeing working very, very successfully on the platform. Um, And I understand the comment regarding digital fatigue. That's why it's so crucial that all of our entertainment is kinesthetic. The children move to make the magic work, which is exactly the same as as what we've been doing for 10 years at Dazzle and Fizz. This is now online. And it's worth remembering, there's a massive demographic of children for whom it's not possible to go outside and play. So one of our charities that we work with is the Children's Trust. The majority of the children there are bedbound or confined to wheelchairs or their rooms. And they're able now to enjoy the content weekly alongside neurotypical kids. And everyone just accepts one another. I think that's really special. And we also did our first event in Africa, in Uganda, two months ago, which was um, for a, a group of 150 pygmy children who lived on the on the border of the Congo. And they came and enjoyed a whole afternoon of entertainment live with kids in New York, in London, across Europe. And the results really were quite special. Yeah, that, that does sound pretty, pretty special. Before I hand back to Gemma, what majority of the content is live with the kids interacting with each other and the person in your studio? Um, what percentage of the content is going to be prepackaged? So at the moment, we've got 245 pre-recorded videos. Um, we'd like to get that up to around 750, but with an initial plan to get it to 500, which would be in line with something like the Fit app. So there's always a great, strong content library there. On top of that, we will go live daily. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, Gemma, any more questions from your end? Well, I'd love to ask if you could help us bring one of the classes to life. Like, could you give us a flavor of what does it look like? What will, like, how will it, like, what type of content is shared with a, with a child and how do they interact with that? Like, what do they learn from it? Just to give a little bit of a flavor to, to myself and the audience of, of how, how the app really works. I'd love to. So to use the Ugandan event as an example, we we called that day Jambo, which is Swahili greeting, sort of saying hi. And the whole afternoon was about peace and peaceful reconciliation. That was the messaging. To deploy that, we delivered dance. We delivered drama. The children wrote their own poetry. They listened to stories. We delivered a science experiment. And then it all culminated with a physically active party. So I think we've got to remember that in childhood, moments of joy is so crucial. And when delivered alongside the learning, it can have the greatest impact. So the the child is always delivering um, the work alongside the performers. They're dancing along, they're singing along, they're writing the poetry, they're feeding back their thoughts. So it really is a two-way conversation. Great. That sounds that sounds really, really fun. Do you have any, I guess, MPS or satisfaction scores from the parents and potentially from the children? And if not, how are you looking to measure that in the future? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, I personally would like to, later down the road, deploy a similar technology to say Netflix. So the the content is very much led by user activity and we're very, very open and we'd like the classes to be scored and rated as well. I think that would be really useful for us 
to see what flies with our audience. And also it'll be really, really useful for our members. Great. Thank you so much. And are there any plans to sort of socialize it? So where the kids can interact with each other or chat, or is it strictly enjoy the class and that's that? No, we want user gen content. We think that's going to be crucial. But given the very young age group of the children, it will be more strictly watched than, say, a social media platform. So to give some examples, when the children are completing the live classes, they'll be able to send stickers to one another, which are positive affirmations. Wow, great dancing. You're awesome. You're great. Similarly, they'll be able to share the poetry that they write, the art they create, the Lego that they build on the feed there, but they will only be able to give positive affirmations to one another. There isn't the ability for cyberbullying. Um, and we're not going to have any sort of like counter because that's really been proven to have a detrimental effect on childhood mental health. So it will be capped that each post has three stickers. And then if there's more, they can just rotate. But we, we don't want kids to get hung up on likes. Yeah, that makes total sense. And are you the, the video technology that you're using to, to stream these? Are you using, you know, a Zoom-esque technology or is it all yours? And also, how do you control, you know, 50 kids all doing poetry? Like, is it is it a mute all and then you you pick some kids to read out theirs or, you know, how do they interact on a mass scale digitally? Yeah, it's a great question. At the moment, Nick, yeah, we're using Zoom. Uh, but we we do plan, particularly on the next raise, to really develop our own version, which is optimized to replicate a live children's activity environment. Um, I, for example, the, the kids shouldn't all be in separate boxes. We should all be in the same environment. There's lots we want to do there. At the moment, it's it's very manageable, up to 50 kids. They are muted unless it's time to speak. Uh, we also have a member of management running the chat box for those who can type. And the it's the role of the facilitator to pull out children who want to speak and want to contribute throughout the session. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and finally, for me, you mentioned something, I think I've got this right, STG4? What, so SDG4. What, SDG4. So, so what is that? And the other question, uh, which always interests me, is why the name Vesta? Cool, yeah, good questions. So SDG is the Sustainable Development Goals, which have been put out by the United Nations. And most of the corporations that we've signed already are signed up to the SDGs. There's 17 of them in total, and SDG 4 is the right to an equitable education for all. And Vesta, she is the goddess of the home. So that's why we're, we're a woman-founded business, and we thought that was applicable. Yeah, love that, love that. Brilliant, well, so that was all the questions from Gemma. I'm also done, so um, brilliant answers, uh, really good pitch, so um, thanks for joining us, Charlotte. Gemma and myself will leave the pitch studio to discuss it amongst ourselves, but thank you so much for coming on. It's a pleasure, thanks so much. I don't know about you, Nick, but I was very impressed with Charlotte. I think she gave a very clear, high energy, very strong content pitch. And I also think she handled all the questions well and with succinct and clear answers. So from that end, I would say, because it's obviously, it's, a, it's an early stage, 
crazy deal. Founders are so important. I felt that she as a, as a founder impressed me. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I thought the, the pitch was, was bang on. As you say, the answers were very succinct and founders can very easily fall into a trap of, I call it storytelling, um, where they sort of go around an answer and it takes you 10 minutes to get to the answer you want. Um, and actually, if a founder has, say, an hour or half an hour in front of an angel, you want to get those answers out as quick as possible. So I think Charlotte did, did brilliant on that. In terms of the opportunity, where, you know, where, where are you landing in a, in a, a broad brushstroke in, in the opportunity and the likelihood of a startup being able to sort of crush this opportunity? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I mean, I don't have children, so let me start with that. So I think this is maybe slightly harder for me to relate to, though I do see both, I guess, in the market as well as with my, with my friends and family who do have children, that there is a huge need for good quality content for children and activities that don't necessarily need involvement of either parents or teachers. And I think this is an industry that is that is developing rapidly. I do think, as you made the point as well, there is big players like Netflix and, and Disney that are investing in content in this area. But I do think that there is an opportunity to create things that are more interactive and that have more of a subscription type of model, like almost like a virtual camp, like she was describing for, yeah, for school holidays and such. Because I've always seen that that's for parents, um, like the biggest pain point, because obviously a lot of us have jobs that, that they don't necessarily um, allow to take every school holiday off. Now, my, my main question will be just on how this will land post-COVID and if the B2B traction will still be there. Because I do think during COVID, a lot of big employers were looking for ways to support their workforce and especially the parents on their workforce with, yeah, that had to deal with, with having children at home when the schools were closed. And I'd be very interested to see how that develops in, you know, in the next year or so as children have gone back to school and potentially companies will be less willing to invest in these type of benefits for their employees. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. You know, I do think we are going to go back to quote unquote normal, you know, sooner rather than later, where I think people will start to go back to the office, maybe not five days a week, but I think the office culture will come back. So as you say, you know, yeah, will businesses be willing to invest? I suppose what, what I do really like about this is the B2B side, you know, it's in, as, a, as a B2B person, well, actually, you know, I did design my night, which was B2C, but we sold software B2B. And I know the beauty of you know, being able to get a deal with Facebook and suddenly you've got 5,000 users. So that appeals to me rather than trying to, let's say, compete with Netflix on a B2C level. And I, I wonder if there is a sort of, I hate to use this word, but a sort of guilt element that you can use with companies that, you know, or where you don't have a crash or something in your office and you, you are looking after, you, you say you are looking after employees' well-being with yoga and gym memberships, et cetera, but actually a big part of their wellness is having to do their job and look after their children. And what are you doing to support that? And that's sort of £10 a month. If the content is as great as Charlotte is making out and is going to be as rich, then it could be something that, you know, big companies are just like, you know what? Yeah, we should do this and it will make us look great. Yeah, I agree. And I, I definitely 
really like the B2B traction that they've built so far. And I think it, it's a positive sign that there's people within companies that are willing to listen and to pay for this type of, of solution. I think to further get these type of B2B contracts, they probably have to also invest. And we didn't dig into that that much, but in the quality element of, of their content. And great to hear that, they, that they're hiring somebody who has a professional background in, in child education. But I do think there will be a need for them to, in somewhat, some shape or form, like certify or, or show that the quality of the, of the content is, is positive from an educational perspective and is like adds to children's development rather than, you know, another hour in front of the screen. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm, I'm surprised actually that there wasn't mention of a more sort of medical person or sort of, you know, occupational therapy. If a big sort of moat for this and a big reason for this is having neurodiverse play with neurotypical children. And that was another thing that, that stood out to me a little bit, that it seemed like she was always to, almost talking about two different audiences. And I, I love her founder market fit and the fact that she has a neurodiverse son and that's why she started this business. But I, I do wonder if catering towards neurodiverse children will require different types of solutions. And like you, like you said, potentially a more medically led approach than catering towards a wider audience. And potentially you can have these go hand in hand, but I do think you need expert advice. And there's probably a safeguarding element to this as well. So if you start to think about actual live classes and having children interact with each other and, and others, there will be safeguarding regulation that applies and they are going to have to be very, very careful, which I'm sure they are, but it just adds another layer of complexity. And I think these are exactly the type of things that obviously they, they're going to figure out, but it, it does make the scaling a little bit more tricky than just a content platform. Platform. Yeah, I totally agree. Brilliant. So I think that's a great place to end it. So thank you so much for joining us, Gemma. Really loved your insight at the start and your, your great questions. So thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. So it's just me outside the pitch studio now for my final thoughts. Firstly, I thought Charlotte did a superb job. I thought the pitch was very concise, got the point across, importantly, got her passion across. Um, I think for those of you that have listened to a lot of the catalog of Pitch Deck, you'll see that angel investors and early stage VCs really look for that drive and that passion in, in the founder. And I think Charlotte really got that across today. I thought her answers were very concise, very to the point, which again is great. Um, you know, if you have half an hour in front of an angel or an hour, um, you want to allow them to extract as much information from you as possible to help them make their decision. So you don't want to go on these long winded storytelling answers that don't really get to what the angel was asking. Um, so I think Charlotte did that really well. She's obviously got a track record in building a business and a sort of parallel business where they can use their learnings to move that over to Vesta. So I thought that ticked, you know, loads and loads of boxes. Um, I, I really liked that it was a B2B element. You know, someone who has sold in B2B before, it is a lot easier than trying to just capture parents from a B2C point of view. You know, if you were a parent given this for free by your company, well, you probably would give it a go versus if you're paying it from your own pocket, there's a, you know, a much bigger obstacle there. So the 
obvious success or failure in this business is whether they can convince corporations to fund this as part of their sort of yeah diversity and inclusion and or sort of perk system as part of the culture puzzle. And I have to say, I don't see why not. You know, there is a lot focused on the employee's health and well-being. Currently, lots of platforms out there. I personally invest in one myself, uh, which is called Hecker, um, which is about employee wellness. So, you know, I really see the opportunity that, as I said to Gemma, that you could almost guilt companies into saying, well, look, you need to look after the employees that have kids too um, and sort of help them in their home life which will make them better people in their business life and it will all come down to quality of content engagingness that's not a word of content and really if they can scale this concept of having 50 plus kids on one platform enjoying a sort of live session i think that's where i'd really want to dig i understand they're using zoom for now and that makes total sense but, you know, how engaging is a session for 50 kids all at once um, with some maybe being restless, some not, some neurodiverse, some neurotypical? You know, I'd be really interested to see if that does work. But they've also got this huge back catalogue and there's no reason why someone with a few friends around, you know, can't look through the back catalogue like adults watch Netflix. Um, so I don't think it will live and die on the live element, but I would really want to dig further and see examples of how that does function in the real life. I personally love the mission of getting neurotypical and neurodiverse kids playing together. Um, I've seen that in my own family and that it works really well. Um, my other half is also actually um, an occupational therapist and and one of the biggest issues is that the separation of neurotypical and neurodiverse children and even adults, and actually it's us as a society, not making it acceptable or able for kids either with a, a disability or neurodiversity to be able to play with neurotypical. And that makes, you know, that puts them on the outcast view, which is, you know, a horrible way to grow up. So I really applaud the, the notion of being able to have all types of kids playing together. And, and, I, and I have seen that work in the physical space. So I, I don't doubt that Charlotte will be able to make that happen in the digital space. So for me, it's can they produce the content? Can they sign up the customers? Um, and are they going to need to raise quite a lot of money to, to keep throwing out incredible high production value content? and will kids want to play in front of that versus watching Netflix or Disney Plus? So I think that, that those would be the questions for me that I'd want to dig further on. But all in all, I think a really interesting and a project that has a great mission as well. If you want to check out what um, Charlotte is up to, if you have kids yourself or you want to convince the company that you work for to work with Vesta, if you head over to dazzleandfizzclub.co.uk, you'll see the details for Vesta Kids on there too. Um, if you want to check out Creandum, um, where Gemma is working, that is on Creandum, which is C-R-E-A-N-D-U-M.com. So that's Creandum.com. And you can find Gemma on LinkedIn too. And as ever, if you want to check out my startup playground, head over to horseplay.ventures. If you want to put in a deck for angel investment, you can do that through there. And also if you're interested in taking part in a future series of Pitch Deck, 
send us your deck through Horseplay as well. And if you could share this or if you really enjoy it, I would love you to leave a review. It means a lot. It's a passion project for me. Um, so yeah, if you love it, love you to leave a five star review on, on one of the platforms. If you hate it, feel free to leave a negative review too. All feedback is great. Um, but yeah, thank you for sharing it with peers and friends too.